I think you have to be open to the possibilities that are out there. Be open to the possibilities that kind of fit the general parameters, but maybe not on exact check every single box because that might guide you to exactly where you want to end up. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Cynthia Potten, a software developer apprentice at AWS, but that wasn't always the case. We're going to dive in and learn more about Cynthia and her journey into tech. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very happy to have you on. So you're an apprentice at AWS, is that right? That is correct. I'm uh, just finishing up my instructor-led training, which was um, the first 18 weeks, and then I'll be headed into my on-the-job training, which is 12 months. I definitely want to dive into more of the AWS apprenticeship maybe later on, but early on in your childhood, did you ever have any grand designs to work at a company like AWS and to be a software developer? No, I think my first, like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was torn between a lawyer and a marine biologist. So really was not thinking anything technical. This will probably date me, but I didn't have a um, a computer in the household even until high school. Okay. So I, you know, wasn't super familiar with it. You get it in class, you know, you get it at school, you get to play with the computer and those kinds of things. But yeah, it wasn't really in my, my scope of what I was thinking I was going to do. Okay. So between a lawyer and a marine biologist, those are two vastly different things. I'm curious. Did you like, on the lawyer front, did you like arguing when you were younger? Was that what that was? Or did you like something different about law? I think I liked being right. Okay. So I really like digging into problems and I like discussing topics and learning other people's sides. And, and so it's more of the de- like the debate back and forth, okay. I think was appealed to me. And that was like in fifth grade. Okay. So, you know, and I was never confrontational. So it wasn't the argument part. But yeah, so it was more, I think more of just the discussion and the debate and, and, you know, law is such a vast topic that you can learn mm-hmm. so much about it. Okay. And on the marine biology side, what was that? I loved animals and I loved science and I loved math. And I grew up in Southern California, not too far from the beach. We would go to the beach every Saturday. So um, just fascinated with uh, marine biology and the creatures that live in the ocean and those types of things. All right. So you're in high school and now you're preparing for college. Was that an intentional decision when you went to college? What did you study? How was that? Yeah. So absolutely intentional decision kind of groomed to go to college. My my parents didn't put a huge precedence on going to college, but they encouraged it. Um, neither one of them were college graduates, okay. and they encouraged it by helping me kind of prepare. My dad at the time was um, a vice president, and he saw that the limitations of ha- not having a bachelor's and upward mobility in his current position um, was something that kind of limited him. So he was encouraging me to go to business school. Okay. But I went local to Cal State Fullerton and I started with an undeclared major because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then eventually I chose to start going down the nursing medical path Okay. and started taking all of the science classes, going circling back to that science love yep. and fell in love with anatomy and physiology and, and all things kind of okay. science related to the body. And then from there, I went to chiropractic school. And same sort of thing, organic chem, microbiology, anatomy, physiology, um, kinesiology, all those ologies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So then you graduated from the chiropractic school Mm -hmm. and then did you plan to start working in that field and did you? I did. Yeah. I owned my own practice for a portion of time. Um, It was about six or seven years. Um, I owned my own practice. I graduated, owned my own practice, um, loved it, loved my patients. I loved working for myself. And then I met and married my husband, which is an active duty military member. And so owning your own business and moving every three years is not very conducive to building a practice, uh, especially like a chiropractic office where there's trust that needs to be established in those kinds of things. So I had to pivot. Mm. So what happened next? I'm curious. We moved to Utah. um, And I think I realized at that time, I wasn't really going to maintain the chiropractic practice every time we moved because we moved every three years, you know, statistically, um, businesses take about five years to build and then you're, you know, all of that part of it. So I started looking, going back into like the medical field. Okay. So I applied for a program that was at Intermountain Healthcare, um, a big giant hospital in Utah, and I got accepted into the program to be a lab technician and phlebotomist, and I trained there, and I did that. I worked at an OBGYN office and drew blood, processed the specimens, handled the patient care, all of that, and then we moved again. <laughs> okay. And then so... When you were doing that, was the plan almost like your your job and your career could be more modular where you think you could kind of reinvent a different version of that wherever you and your husband would move next? I was hoping so. It's difficult as a military spouse because you just kind of have to pivot and you're at the mercy of the economy, the duty station you're assigned to, the current available employment, licensing, right? Like from state to state um, with the yeah. chiropractic, I would have to get relicensed every time we moved and those kinds of things so that there's a lot of that. I was hoping to go and get my nursing license and degree and then a path kind of just pivoted um, and, you know, ended up here. So, yeah. So I guess up until this point and maybe a little bit before this, Cynthia, were there ever any signs of you being technically adept and or maybe that being a field that you wanted to pursue? Eventually. Yeah, it kind of came about more when I did a pivot and when we moved to Arizona and um, I got a job as a administrative assistant in the technology department. It kind of okay. found me. I thought I was applying for an accounting job. That's kind of like there's a gap in there in that story. But um, I got an accounting degree also in the middle of all of that. And I thought I was applying for an accounting job and I showed up and it was actually for an administrative assistant because I had checked a box in their application said basically submit my application for other similar jobs. So I started working there and the CTO saw something in me and said, I think you would be really great with our student information system, which is like their student database. Okay. And as soon as an opening came open there, they transitioned me over and that's where I fell in love with data. And that's where I fell in love with technology. In hindsight, I think I was always technical, but I didn't see myself that way. I love taking photographs. And so messing around with Lightroom and all the Adobe applications and all of those things. But that was, to me, just part of the photography process. It wasn't technical, right? Like I I didn't think of myself that way. And if you think about the careers that I've had with the medical fields and things like that, it's all problem solving. And even with diagnosis of a patient, you know, it's your best guess, right? Like, 
like we do right now with our like, oh, well, I think this is going to fix the bug. Let me go in. And so it's very similar skill sets, but yeah. I never saw it as if I was going to apply it in a technical realm. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask you if you knew anyone else or maybe had that blueprint for someone that worked in tech. Yeah, I'm just putting it together as I go along, James. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Still to this, still to this day, if you if you look at my path in technology, you know, taking an apprenticeship might look like almost a step backwards to some, but I feel like the opportunity at Amazon is exponential, and there's yeah. just no way that I would have said no to to having the training and like the number of years it would have taken for me to teach myself what they've taught me in 18 weeks. And I'm going to have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable for the next yes. year because it's going to be so much growth and so much stretch and yeah. so much knowledge gained. But, you know, right before this, I was a data engineer manager for a data integrations department. And so like going from a manager to an apprentice on paper looks like a step backwards. To me, yeah. it's a full leap forward. Because of the, the amount of knowledge that I'm going to gain from working at AWS. Yeah. No, I love that. And maybe we can talk about that pivot as well. And before we do, I just want to commend you because I hear all these different pivots and your story, it's so similar to other people that I've talked about. And the really key thing there to anyone listening, I think, is over time, you've learned how to reinvent yourself. And I think that's amazing. It's an incredible skill to learn, I guess, because I'm sure that first one, I know for me, when I had to reinvent myself was not easy. I got through it and I learned things that help inform the next pivots down the line. So I am curious if you have kind of found the same. Yeah, I absolutely have. And I think it was essential to uh, my mental health survival as a military spouse, because I'm a numbers person, obviously, because the data, there's a vast majority of military spouses that are either underemployed or unemployed. I think it's like 22% of military spouses are unemployed. I like working. We haven't needed the financial addition of my salary. At times we did, but most of the time we didn't need it. It was because I enjoy working and I enjoy that satisfaction of working. And so I think one of the things that I found in my path was be open to the opportunities that are out there. It may not be exactly what you thought the path would be on paper. In some cases, it might be a stretch. Like, I fit about 60% of this. I'm not sure. But there also might be times that's like, well, that's kind of just below where I thought I wanted to go in. But I would get promoted in three months to mm -hmm. the next step up. So I think you have to be open to the possibilities that are out there. You know, obviously, I, I don't know anybody else's situation, financial needs and things like that, but be open to the possibilities that kind of fit the general parameters, but yeah. maybe not on exact check every single box, yeah. because yeah. that might guide you to exactly where you want to end up. Yeah. It may not be the straight path. You may have to take yes. some slight paths. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there where I think, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, where you kind of envision this linear path from A to B, assuming that you even know what your desired B is. Yeah. And if you're too close-minded on that and you don't open yourself up to, to serendipitous occasions and things that might present themselves, you're going to be, I guess, pigeonholed in an alternate reality where, yeah, you might get to where you want it to go, but that might not be where you actually want it to end up. So to your point, I think it's so great that you see the value in that. And I definitely want the listeners to, to take that as a, an action item to just be open to different possibilities other than those that you 
kind of have for yourself at the time. I think also job descriptions don't suit, like they're not always the same at every company, right? I was considered a data engineer at my company, but it's not exactly what I would see a data engineer be at AWS. It was more of like an data integrations engineer. And so I think you have to stop looking at just the label of the job too, and look at what you're getting out of the job. And does it help you move forward? Does it help you move closer to your end goal? You know, tech, is notorious also for unfortunately short stays. But if you can find a company that you can grow with, that's also another company you might want to take a position that doesn't necessarily on paper check all the boxes, but you have the growth potential within that company to stay there for a long time and learn a lot about whatever field you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. So I, I really want to talk about the AWS apprenticeship and your, yeah. your day-to-day there. Before we get to that, you had mentioned you were an engineering manager. Did you have any programming experience at that time or were you just managing engineers? Yeah, so most of our work was done in SQL, SQL, extracting the data, querying the data out of the student information system and um, setting up the integration so that their system could talk to our system and send the data overnightly super baseline of of what we did. Um, Sounds super simple, very complex, but (laughs) sounds super simple. But that was basically what we did. So a little bit of Python was needed occasionally by the data engineers. We weren't building the pipelines. The, The software engineers, DevOps teams would build those pipelines. We just had to make the connections talk to each other. Okay. And so that's what I'm saying, like data engineer, you know, kind of a little bit different. But I would say from that, I think that was a stretch for me too. I, you know, I think the day before that job started, I was like, they're going to figure out I'm not supposed to be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a little bit of a stretch because I had taught myself SQL. I had taught myself some Python through Code Academy. I had practiced all of those skills for a very long time, was able to pull basic reports out of our student information system. But I was really hoping that I was going to gain those skills and kind of grow that. And I did. I was able to do that um, under some great leadership and guidance from my mentors there. Um, Had a great team, amazing um, people to work with there. Um, And so it just kind of was a really big growth opportunity for me. Also, it was a remote job, which allowed me to keep that job for almost four years, which is unheard of in the military spouse community. So um, I was able to grow and actually go from a data analyst to a data engineer to a data engineer manager. And to be able to see that kind of career growth in one company because it was remote. And so I think remote's a, a, a huge part of that kind of puzzle for me. Yeah. No, I love that. And what was the timeline? Because I guess this was probably pre-COVID, right? Yeah. So I was I was remote before remote was cool. <laughs> it was uh, 2000, January of 2019. I started okay. as, a, as a remote data analyst and I worked um, for an educational software company that provided a product that is pivotal to districts making decisions on students and interventions and developing that multi-tiered support system that students need. So that okay. also kind of heartstrings, right? Like get to support the the teachers and the districts that get to go support our kids because I'm not wired to be in the classroom, but you know, anything I can do to help those that are wired to be in the classroom to support the kids was kind of at at the root of that. Yeah, no, great. And before we move to Amazon, if you can think back to when you were learning SQL, when you were learning Python, so many people, myself included, struggle when we first start learning programming. I'm curious if you also struggled and maybe if you found different things that might translate to anyone listening that might help them? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Like who doesn't struggle daily, right? Um, I just told you um, right before this, like I, I we're just learning swing, uh, Java swing. Um, yeah, um, I think digging in, reading the documentation, being okay with not getting it right the first time, being okay with asking for help when you've really hit a wall, you know, really give it a good effort. Don't, yeah. don't bail on it, right? Yeah. Don't bail on it too early. But sometimes it's as simple as walking away, going to get a cup of coffee, take your dog on a walk, and then you come back and you have this light bulb moment. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's normal to struggle. I think it's good to struggle. It teaches you how to dig for resources. It teaches you lear- how to learn uh, to read the documentation and really learn. You know, if, if you're not breaking it, you're not learning, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if you can just copy and paste somebody else's code, you know, what good is that? You've good really got to get, dig in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, that definitely translates in my own experience where some of the struggles that I've gone through, I don't know if it's the mix of different emotions that we feel to help solidify that memory, but it, it definitely works for me. And to your point, if you're just copy and pasting off of Stack Overflow or even within the code base that you're working on, yes, you might accomplish that task and short term, that might seem like a win. And I guess sometimes you have to do that. But at the same time, if that's your go-to default way of I guess, programming, you're not going to learn over time and retain those core principles and what's going on under the hood. So I I love that. Now, I really want to understand, so you're an engineering manager. How do you hear about the AWS apprenticeship? Yeah, so so kind of take one step back. I, um, so I got um, contacted by a recruiter at Google. Um, on LinkedIn, and I really thought I was being punked um, because yeah. nobody, like, right? Like, everybody fights for years to even just get, I don't know, a message back from a recruiter. Um, I hadn't applied for anything at Google. I wasn't, I was kind of sorting, starting to look, but I wasn't looking. And so I, I really thought I was being punked. And so I had a conversation with her, um, and she was like, well, you know, after talking to you and um, because you're finishing up your data analytics, data management degree, I'd really like you to interview for an SDE. Hmm. And I was like, uh, she's like, well, you know, Python, right? I was like, I mean, I use Python for data analytics and some machine learning and stuff, but I don't know. And she's like, well, you know, I'll give you two months to study. Um, Do you think that'll be enough? And I was like, of course, I can learn anything in two months. The more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we set the interview date out for two months. I studied leak code like a mad woman every morning at five o'clock in the morning, every night from eight to 10. Um, Did everything I could to memorize all that. And then it went horrible. And that's okay. Um, the The behavioral questions went really, really well. Um, I thought I was crushing it. And then I got to the actual cord- coding portion with a Google Sheet, blank Google Sheet. Mm. And I couldn't even come up with how a, a function like yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't type anything. I was like, I was like, I was almost frozen. I had studied and memorized and like kind of almost over fatigued myself to the point where like I just froze and we got through it (laughs) the longest 45 minutes of my life but we got through it I put something down on paper but obviously I didn't pass um and I was okay with that because I came away from that knowing that um that was on me 
like completely on me for not taking the right amount of time, not taking the right approach. And I think that's where I also pivoted in my learning process of like creating versus just memorizing um, leak code problems because that doesn't work for me. It might work for some, but it doesn't work for me. And yeah, so and then I was like, okay, well, let me really think about this software development engineer because that wasn't a path I had looked at really. I knew I wanted to go into either data science or data engineering, but I thought I would just learn the data world, right? Like I'll just stay in my little narrow scope. And then I was like, well, if Google thinks that I could do this, then maybe I can. Yeah. And then I, I heard about this military apprenticeship program at Amazon where they train you for the first 18 weeks and then they do on-the-job training. And I was like, that's exactly what I need. That will bridge that gap for me. And it was almost a month after I had done the Google interview. And I was like, I'm not trying to get all like the universe was sending it to me or anything like that. But it was like almost like perfect timing that I, I couldn't ignore it. And then I was like, well, it's probably only military veterans. Well, it's open to military spouses as well. And I was like, this is perfect. And so it was posted two, maybe three times. And every single time I applied for it, that it came up. And every time I would go into in consideration, and then I would drop into like no longer into consideration, and they would close it out. And then the one day I got it, the day it opened, and that's the that's the time I got the screening interview by the HR person and just kind of rolled with it from there. Amazon's interviewing process is a little bit tedious, you know, like four hours, uh, lots of leadership principles memorized and discussed and stories associated with those leadership principles. And so I had a lot of studying to do for that. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a really, really great process and has really taken me to believing that I can do this. And instead of just feeling like they're going to discover I'm an imposter at some point, but really truly believing that I'm on the right path because I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that tenacity where you didn't get it the first time. It sounds like you didn't get it the second time, but you refused to yield. And I'm sure you got better with each successive application. And I think that right there is, is a key takeaway to anyone listening where, yeah, you can try and fail and you can blame other people or blame your situation and say, well, that's not for me. Or you can be like Cynthia and just have this unyielding tenacity if you know that's what you want to chase as long as you don't lose that that vision and that dedication and to take feedback and to refine your approach and to iterate. Uh, I feel like, yeah, you can accomplish anything. And I love that you've mentioned it a few times now where it's almost like they're going to find out about you or something like that. I feel the same way. I still feel the same way. And I feel like that's a good trait because it's almost, for me anyway, it's like a self-regulating thing where, especially when I can zoom out from it, because it keeps me wanting to grow such that in a way, I guess that I don't want them to find out about me, but I want to keep moving forward. And I'm curious if if you've ever thought about that. Yeah, I actually, I do. I think for me, I'm going to probably continue to learn whether I'm in school or not. And I've always said I either have to grow or I have to go. And that's something that like I find in myself when I've reached my max growth in a certain position, that's when I start to feel a little uncomfortable. And I, you know, I'm not there's not much left to learn and things like that. And I'm just one of those people that wants to be learning. And the more you learn, the more you think, you know, and then at some point, you're like, ooh there's a lot more to learn. And now I got to dig back in and go again. So you just kind of have this cycle of it. But yeah, I mean, it really, it does drive me. I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. And I'm totally okay with that because there's people to learn from. But I want to bring something to the table. And I think if 
it just keeps moving that little benchmark out further and further every time you like, okay, well now I'm, I've spent this much time doing this or I've built this kind of application. What can else that can I do? Yeah. And I think that's when you know you're in the right path. It's because yeah. you're excited to take that next step. You're excited yeah. for that growth. And that is, you know, as long as you're still excited about that growth, I think you're, you know, you're going in the right direction. But yeah, absolutely. It, it keeps making me move that bar just a little bit further out and keep yeah. growing. Yeah, no, I love that. So going back to the program, it sounds like this particular program is either for military veterans or military spouses. Is that, I just wanted to, okay. Yeah. This one is particular. Um, I don't know. I know that they offer other apprenticeships and internships and those types of things, but this is very specific to uh, the military community. Okay. And you had mentioned the leadership principles. I think I remember seeing a slide somewhere on YouTube where there's like 12 or 13 or I'm curious, to the extent that you're able to, I'm not sure if the application process is a guarded secret or if it's more open, but I'm definitely curious if you can talk more about what that looked like. If you can share that, if you can't, I totally understand that as well. Oh, gosh. I don't know that it's a guarded secret. Um, let's just say it was very, there's a lot of leadership principles discussed. They were looking okay. for, are you a good fit for Amazon? and have the aptitude to grow into a software development engineer. You had to have some troubleshooting background and some technical background, but there wasn't, it wasn't a heavy technical interview. It was a lot centered around um, the leadership principles and how you live those leadership principles in your daily work and how you exemplify those things through actions you've already taken. And so that was kind of what it was centered around. Okay. Amazon is number one leadership principle, customer obsession. So just those types of questions or it was it was a lot of behavioral questions, but it would lead into data, like, you know, support it with data and those kinds sure. of things. But yeah, it was four hours. Um, I don't think that's a secret. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was like all in one day back to back. And so okay. it was, it, you know, nerve wracking. Um, yeah. And then so on that leadership, I've never heard of a I guess I don't have a lot of broad exposure other than like with LinkedIn and with the Reach Apprenticeship. Yeah. So I'm very, this is why I'm so curious about this yeah. as well. So it's, it was almost, it sounds like if I think back to my college days, the few times when I was actually studying and trying to prepare, it was almost like you were doing homework. And this is a question where you're studying these leadership principles and maybe planning in advance how you could translate those to how you've exemplified them over your life. Was it was it like that, Cynthia, or was it more ad hoc where you would be asked a question and then the, I guess the interviewer would kind of connect the, the leadership principle to the question, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, so a little bit of both. So I did study the leadership principles, lots of hours on YouTube, watching people talk about them, discuss them, lots of reading on my own. And then what I did was I actually started writing down stories from my work history that would maybe match to the leadership principles and how I felt I had kind of shown that leadership principle in that action. There was no like, here's the questions that we're going to ask you. And then they would ask a question, very um, kind of typical behavioral questions um, to, to, to leave it kind of open-ended so you could tell a story I would guess that if they saw those leadership principles in that story, that's where. So I think I studied the leadership principles, went back through my mental (laughs) database of stories and tried to match that so that 
when they asked a question, I would already have something to kind of draw from. But there was no like direct match. It wasn't like, tell me about a time you were customer obsessed. It wasn't like that. Yeah. That's very smart though. And I, yeah, I can definitely tell how your preparation helped you get where you are. And that's so amazing. And thinking back to the LinkedIn reach apprenticeship, it was similar, although I guess we had a little bit more time to collect our thoughts because it was essay based, but a similar concept where they would ask you different things and they didn't list out the core leadership principles or anything like that, but it was along those same lines, like grit, determination, how have you done these things? So that's that's very interesting to see the, the parallels between the two. And yeah. then to the extent you can talk about it, aside from that behavioral on the technical side, was it more of like the blank document, do a, a toy problem in real time, or was it more nuanced than that? The technical screening was kind of pre-interview day um the technical screening was done more before you even got to the behavioral stuff so it was like oh gosh i would have to look through my emails it was kind of more essay based right like tell me about a time like you or give me examples of jobs you've done troubleshooting on do you have any networking background well i happen to have my net plus so that was an easy one right like i got net plus and um tech you know, technical troubleshooting. That was my daily, that was my daily life at my, my job before this. So those were super easy checkoffs for me. So I don't remember exactly what they were, but there was a lot of that screening came ahead of time to make sure uh, you had the aptitude for it. It was more of a, a screening of your history and your aptitude. So they wanted you to have a bachelor's degree in some technical related field or have gone through a boot camp, have worked in like a technical background with troubleshooting. So like kind of aptitude checkoff list. Okay. No, I love that. And thinking back again to my own experience with the REACH apprenticeship application process, it was similar where we had the behavioral and then it was, it was a take home. And I think that that's not a guarded secret. There's a take home challenge where you have a week or something like that. And that's what I love about that so much, Cynthia, is when the actual interview took place, it was aside from the behavioral aspect of it is going through your own code base and seeing how well you can talk through your code. Nice. So it's, it, it's interesting hearing how the different companies do a similar process. So, yeah. okay. So you go through that, you do your four hour thing. What happens next? How long did it take for you to hear back? You're still the engineering manager doing your thing. Yeah. I'm still an engineering manager hanging out. It happened to be Labor Day weekend as well. So there was like an extra buffer built in there. It was a week before I heard that I'd passed the interview. It was almost three weeks after that before I got my date to start and I was really going oh gosh did they maybe reconsider Mm. um you know those kinds of things because you'd get in your head but yeah it was probably about three weeks before but it's it's coordination of a lot of people right so we have 22 people in our cohort the cohort that started the week before mine was another 20 people so that's 40 something people you're trying to organize training for assign to match them up with jobs that are willing to take an apprentice and then match them up with a location because Amazon does have so many locations and people's preferences as far as locations and where they would be willing to move if they got the apprenticeship and we had to go in the office for on-the-job training and those kinds of things. Okay. So it was a lot of coordination. Yeah, and on the location front, before we get into your actual day-to-day, in the apprenticeship that you're in now, are you able to be remote? And then do you think it's likely that you'll be able to leverage your, your spouse's next position to maintain this role or is that kind of in flux? Maybe uh, a little bit of flux, but um, right now in the 18 weeks, it is absolutely remote. The training is coordinated through TLG Learning, and then some people do have to report into the office after that, depending on if they're, you know, what 
team they're assigned to, which managers, preference, those kinds of things. Majority of my cohort has been assigned to the Seattle office. Myself, I was assigned to the Arlington office. And my husband is trying to get orders up to Quantico, Virginia, so we can all just move up there together. I don't have all of the specifics quite yet. Um, I talked to my manager just last week, and um, he's going to be matching me up with like a mentor and those kinds of things of how often I have to go in. Okay. But it's as of right now, I can stay remote or at least hybrid um, for a portion of the time. I'm currently in Georgia. So um, once I get more of that solid kind of cadence of how often I have to be in the office, I can start making living um, situation choices. Yeah. My husband also is eligible for retirement this year. He's been in the military for 20 years. He probably will stay in for a couple more. But that's also just a little bit of flux based on orders. And, you know, he was selected for the next rank and those kinds of things. Yeah, kind of goes back to when you talked about keeping yourself open to different situations where even though you don't have a crystal clear next step now, you're going through, uh, not going through the motions. That's the wrong way to say that. But you're pressing forward with what you want to do. And again, relating back to my own story, when I was offered the LinkedIn apprenticeship, I was blown away, as I guess you can probably imagine. The only caveat there was that the original expectation was for me to relocate my family 1,300 miles from Virginia, where we live now, to Omaha, Nebraska. And the real kicker there is my wife and I had just had our first child. So that was not an easy decision to make, to rip her out of her support network here in Virginia. And long story short, my wife and I had several discussions, and she had a great attitude We were going to treat it as an adventure, as potentially a short-term thing. It was what we both wanted. It'd be fun. And long story short, LinkedIn ended up changing their policy where apprentices would also have the option to remain remote. So fingers crossed for you that more options may open up. And the key there for me anyway is to take that leap of faith as long as it is loosely aligned with where you're trying to go because great things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're completely open to Virginia. Um, That was my choice as far as like if I had to relocate somewhere, that's where I would want to go. We had been looking at living in North Carolina anyway at post-retirement. So one state up, you know, not that far off. And we knew we didn't want to stay here in Georgia. We we do live on base here, so we don't own a home here or anything like that. So we're looking at going back into homeownership and Virginia is aligned with what we love about being outdoors and having the beach and the rivers and the mountains and, you know, can't wait for all of the hiking and all of that stuff. And um, so, yeah, so Virginia was already okay, like okay for us. And because we do move so often, it's absolutely always an adventure. Yeah. You always have to just see it as this is temporary. We can change it at any time. And what does this area have to offer? What does this subculture of America have to offer and experience all of that? And if it doesn't match up in a couple of years, then you you, you go find somewhere else. But um, I didn't always feel that way. I grew up in Southern California and thought I'd never leave. Mm. Um, So that first move was probably the toughest. Actually, the second move was the toughest because we went to Hawaii and I was on an island away from all my family. But yeah, I mean, just now it's just an adventure and we have a child. So one of the reasons I'm hoping to stay remote at least until the summer is um, because I don't want to have to uproot her from school. You know, those preteen years are already um, stressful enough on kids. Yep. Being able to kind of ride it out with her friends until summer and then we'll make the change. But she's super resilient. She's a, been a military kid her whole life. She doesn't know yep. any different. So she's super resilient and she makes friends super fast. She's an extrovert, complete opposite of her mama and <laughs> um, <laughs> and loves meeting new people and, and all of that. So we'll make the best of it, whichever 
scenario has to come our way. And, yeah. and it is, it's absolutely something that I'm willing to do and want to do because at this point I feel like um, I have to kind of put my career just a little bit before some, like some other stuff, because I finally getting to a point where I found the path that I want to take. I'm starting to make progress towards my end goal. And so I need to continue to push forward for that. And, you know, put some eggs in my basket as well as his. You know, we've yeah. been doing the whole, like, putting all the eggs in his basket for many years now. So right. that's kind of where we're at in our journey as a family. So yeah. that's kind of one of the reasons we're, we're completely committed to it. Even if I have to go up there and rent an apartment by myself, we've yep. been apart longer than that yeah. um, with his deployments and stuff. So we'll make it work. Yeah. No, I love this. It sounds like you've got a, a great family. You've got a great support there from both your your child and from your husband, which is so great. And I can tell that you're a lifelong learner, which uh, I know has served you well, and I know will continue to serve you well. So that's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. So now you are an apprentice at AWS. Tell us about your typical day in the life of, because I'm selfishly curious, and I know the listeners will be too. Yeah. Um. So right now it's... um. I'll say it's probably the most exciting and also probably not what people would expect. Since I'm still in the instructor-led training, right now we're in project time, which is my favorite time of the instructor-led training. We have, we've done several projects um, and we're paired up on teams. So I have uh, two gentlemen on my team that are awesome and I love working with them. And we've been building out a game. Um, yesterday, we uh, traded code with another team and now we're building the interface for that game. Um, okay. Their code are now we're building out that user interface. So we're applying those skills that we've learned over the last 18 or probably about 16 weeks because we got about two weeks left. And we're also working in kind of through those practical applications, agile methods, how to manage tasks, how to manage bugs, how to track those things, how to track our work. A lot of Git pushes, pulls, uh, merge issues, all of those things that you're going to run into on the job that they want to prepare us for. So I think as we transition into the on the job training, we have a team we're already assigned to, and then we will kind of be almost like new grads, you know, super baby SDEs that are matched up with a mentor. And, and when I say baby SDEs, that is not a derogatory thing. You'd like, we all just have to grow. We have to find, you know, got to learn how to walk. Right. But yeah, like, you just paired up with a mentor, kind of, we have to start learning the code base of the team. Some members of my cohort have to learn a new language that we haven't been exposed to yet. We learned Java, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Python. We went through like data structures and algorithms, but one of the gentlemen in my cohort, he has to learn Ruby. And so like Mm -hmm. his team doesn't even use any of the languages we've been taught. So there'll be some of that, but yeah, it'll be a lot of growth, a lot of learning the internal tools of Amazon and how they do code reviews and how they um, manage their code base. And, and it, I'm sure it'll be a lot of reading yeah. um, those first few weeks. <laughs> but, you know, that's something that I'm used to and something I embrace. And learning and finding the answers on my own, I think, are super valuable because I'll retain it a little bit more. So I think there'll be a little bit of that. But, you know, we'll have to check in again in a, in a few months and see how yeah. it actually is. Um, yeah. But that's my expectation as of right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's so amazing. And the last question about the apprenticeship itself. So I have no concerns at all about you, but if you continue through the program, is getting that entry-level SDE position at AWS assured, basically, or is it an application process, if you know? It's kind of like a conversion process, I'll say. So if you hit your benchmarks, if you 
are demonstrating all the qualities. I'm not sure how LinkedIn does it, but Amazon wants you to be demonstrating all of the attributes of that role before they transition you into that role. And so if you're functioning as if you're an SDE one, then they're probably going to transition you into an SDE one. I believe I remember a statistic, 90% of those that go through this program convert and stay with Amazon um, after the program. Some of those may choose to leave. I don't know what that other 10% is, but as of right now, everyone has made it through all of the training and I would expect the same. We have some really great people in my cohort. I don't know how, I mean, I do know how they screened, but Amazon found one of the greatest groups of people that I've ever worked with and super supportive and kind of just their own little, we've kind of turned into our own little family, but that's what I guess what happens when you spend 16 weeks together learning. But yeah, just watching everybody grow. And I just, I truly hope that everybody succeeds and kind of takes the path that they're intended to. Yeah, no, I love that. And the REACH program is very similar, I think, where the only difference I'm hearing is that there's no structure in terms of the duration for which you are an apprentice. It's almost, Mm. I guess I want to say kind of self-paced. I think there is a one-year minimum requirement to be in the program, after which, to your point, if you're demonstrating the core principles at the next level, you can become eligible for that promotion and conversion out of the being an apprentice to being the, I think IC2 is LinkedIn's entry-level uh, SDE. So very fascinating to hear the parallels between the two. Still yeah. kind of similar. Yeah, it's it sounds very similar. I think you can convert early before that 12-month period, but that they say to expect about 10 to 12 months for that, you know. And I think that's also an expectation to not pressure yourself. Yes, but I do know that like there's check-ins at like the three, six, nine, like there's there's check-ins that were like, and there's benchmarks. We haven't been told what those are yet, um, but there's benchmarks that we're supposed to be hitting. And Amazon's really great at documenting things. I've already, you know, found like the SDE one guidelines and yep. what those expectations are. So I've already read through those and kind of made my own personal goals as one yeah. week one through four and week four through eight. I don't know that everybody's doing that, but. You know, I've got a lot invested in this as far as I'm concerned and I'm going to handle it kind of like the way I've handled everything else. And there's just, there's no way I'm going to let myself fail. So I'm just going to make sure that I match myself up with those guidelines and get through it. Yeah, no, I know you are. You are going to do that, Cynthia. And I did the same thing with LinkedIn's next level. I created a uh, Google sheet basically with, okay, these are all the rows that I need to satisfy. Here are hyperlinked examples where I think I satisfied it. We'll see how my manager agrees or disagrees, but either way, I'll have good feedback. So I totally love the approach. All right. I have a few rapid fire questions to better understand the psychology of Cynthia Potton, if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. All right. What does your typical morning routine look like? I usually get up at about six, get the kid on the bus. She has to be on the bus by 6.30 and then I'm at my desk learning and then I take a break around like 8.30 or so, take the puppy on a walk. I call her a puppy. She's two. Um, Take the puppy on a walk, get my head clear, get another cup of coffee or I like hot cider. I don't do too much coffee and then settle in for my class that starts at 10.30 Eastern time. But I'm an early learner. I like having a clear head in the morning. So if I could start work at like five, six o'clock in the morning and be done early, I would prefer that. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. If money didn't exist, what do you think you would do every day? Gosh, if money didn't exist, I would probably hike the AT. <laughs> I would yeah. I would be out in the wilderness just um if I didn't have to worry about money and and just I would just be outdoors and and doing adventures with my family. Seriously. Like we watch way too much YouTube about like hiking through hiking the AT and just 
don't even know how we would ever manage taking six months off and, and yep. doing that. So if money didn't exist, that would probably be high on our list of, of things to do. Okay. Bucket list. I like it. All right. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during this transition into tech, what do you think that would be? You can do it. Just always believe that you can do it. You're meant yeah. to be here. Yeah. I love it. Simple, but profound at the same time. Are there any books or podcasts that have had the biggest impact on you? Books, I would say uh, Carol Dwick, Growth Mindset. Yes. I love TED Talks. Um, I just watched one, and I don't remember her name, but I just showed it to my husband. She runs Girls Who Code, and she was talking about how we raise our boys to be brave and our girls to be perfect. And mm -hmm. that's the reason uh, women, she used the example of one of her friends that is a professor that's a java professor and um, the gentleman will come in with there's something wrong with my code and the girls will come in there's something wrong with me and mm -hmm. so the the mindset that we raise our girls with is a little bit different than the the mindset that we raise our boys with and so that was pretty profound um, i'll have yeah. to grab her name so that i can give it to you um Please. so you can reference it but yes. She runs Girls Who Code, and it, that's a really great one. But I, I listen to TED Talks when I'm working, just to yeah. kind of have background noise. Yeah, I'd love to link that in the show notes if you can find it. Yeah. All right, what's one thing you think that you're good at that most people struggle with? Hmm. I would say, well, I'm a really good planner. I'm an excellent planner. I plan all the family vacations, and there's usually spreadsheets involved. I really dig in and I can get all the data and find out all of the, the goodies about everything. Um, and I think that has come, that's something I've always been good at, but I didn't realize until I started working in data that it's all just data analytics. I think I try to keep a positive attitude most of the time. And I feel as if I'm really good at encouraging others as well on the same journey or similar journey and kind of just being their sounding board. Okay. I love it. All right. What's one thing that you struggle with that might come natural to most people? And how do you work through that? I don't know that it comes natural for most people, but I do struggle with knowing when to ask for help because mm -hmm. I'm such an independent person and I truly believe I can get it. Um, yeah. Sometimes I will probably go down a rabbit hole a little too long before raising my hand and going, hey, I just need some help with this. Yeah. And if I would have done it like three or four hours ago, I would have saved myself a lot of time. Yeah, no, I'm guilty of the same. So <laughs> I, can, I can relate to your, your angst there. All right. Are you working on anything else that you want to share? Not at this time. Not that I can think of. But yeah, I mean, um, as I go through the program, if you want to check back in and I can give you a more up to date of what the day in the life looks like, um, we can do that because, yeah. you know, once the on the job training starts or maybe even post, but, you know, I can give you more of a, a better idea of what on the job training looks like for the Amazon apprenticeship. But yeah. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people go to find out more about you? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I have a GitHub. I have a LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> No, those are, I mean, those are the standard answers. I can throw yeah, links in okay. the uh, show notes if you'd like. People can follow you there. And sure. uh, I guess to close out, what's your number one piece of advice for anyone listening that thinks they might want to make a similar change? I think I mentioned it earlier, not having a narrow vision of what you think your path should look like, not putting on those blinders, being open to opportunities that maybe doesn't have the exact job title that you thought you wanted, but fits with all the skills that you're trying to learn. And always be looking for a company that you can grow into so that you don't outgrow it too fast and need to start, you know, your pivot earlier. Yeah, no, I love that. You definitely don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to find a, a different room if that happens. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing yeah, your no story. I definitely want to have you back on and see how things have played out. But I know your future is bright. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show. 